the message. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing here at our church and the way you're waking us up, calling us on, and the way week by week you're writing your law on our hearts, just a new life, a whole new way of, of doing life, and, and we're thankful for that. And so we, we, we come today, Lord, to talk about this third core value, of, or a second core value of authenticity. We just pray that you would uh, unpack that for us, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, she'll never forget the day. It was, uh, it was one of the scariest things she'd ever done. She got up that morning, got dressed. She knew this was the day it needed to happen. She got dressed that day, and she put her shawl on her shoulders, and she headed across town, grabbed her bottle of best perfume on her way out. Not really sure what she was going to do when she got there. She just knew she needed to see him. She got to the home where, where he was at. Inside, there was a, a party going on. There was uh, the owner of the home had, had invited him to dinner, and, and so it was a big deal. It was kind of Middle Eastern-style dinner, you know, the low tables in the middle of the room, uh, kind of lay on your left side, eat with your right hand, your, your feet coming back away from you, head in towards the middle. And, uh, and, and when she got there, the place was crowded, it was jam-packed, and, and so she tried to make her way in. It took a while as she got there for her eyes to adjust to the light. But after she made it through the front door and down the hallway, she turned and saw the room. And she saw, she saw him there across the room. And, and so she, she kind of fought her way through the crowd. It wasn't easy. You know, all the religious leaders and the VIPs there at the table, all the spectators from the town, which was common way in the day, were, were around the edges of the perimeter of the room. And she finally got there until she was standing right behind him. Honestly, she didn't have a clue what she was going to do. She just knew that she needed to get to him. She needed to connect with him. Didn't really have a plan. And she stood there and she surveyed the whole room. It's the whole thing seemed so surreal to her. All these religious leaders, the VIPs, the crowds at the edge, and then, and then her. You know, she'd be the last person you'd expect at a gathering like this. And as she was there, I don't know if it was her past, or it was the hope of our future, but, but all of a sudden it came colliding together and she began to cry. And at first it was just a, a tear or two, but then all of a sudden it was like a dam broke deep inside of her and she found herself just sobbing from a place deeper than she even knew existed. And all of a sudden she looked down and a plan came together, and she dropped to her knees. Today we're continuing this series that we've been in here the last couple of weeks. It's called um, The Movement at Rocky Peak. It's, it's a, a series about our vision, our values, our strategies, what we believe God's calling us to as a, a church. And if you were here a couple of weeks ago, we started the first week by talking about this new vision that God has given us for our future. It's there on your note sheet that uh, the vision is to unleash a movement of passionate Christ followers, people who are pursuing God. Number one goal in our life is to love him, know him, hear from him, please him. Uh, loving people in radical ways, like he's loved us. Uh, serving sacrificially with our time, our gifts, our resources, and then sharing Christ, realizing that once we become a follower of Jesus, we become part of his uh, worldwide movement that uh, we'll all have a role to play in taking the message of the movement of Jesus to those who've never heard. And so we spent a week on that, and then last week we began to talk about these seven core values that God has written on our hearts. 
And, and, and last week, if you turn the page, you'll see the first value there. It's the word, embracing the truth. We saw last week that Jesus was a man of the word and, and that, that if we want to be uh, part of his movement, that we need to embrace the word of God, uh, that it, we saw that it's, it's the path to life, that it's the source of truth. It's the key to our growth. And so today we come to core value number two, and it's authenticity, living honestly. When we talk about authenticity, we're talking about living life in a, in a way that's it's honest, it's real, it's genuine, it's not pretend, it's not fake, it's not pretentious, it's not about the image, it's about the reality. And, uh, and what we're going to learn today is that according to Jesus, this is sort of the first step in becoming a Christ follower. This is what it takes to become part of his movement. Like if we want to grow, the first step is to learn to be kind of radically honest, with ourselves and God and others. And so we're going to be unpacking that. But as you, uh, as you look at the life of Jesus, you see this value lived out, not only in his own life, but also in the life of his followers. Uh, one of the things you see about Jesus, he was always drawn to those people who were real, honest, genuine, straightforward. He was always repelled from those who, who weren't, who were the opposite, kind of pretentious and self-righteous. This story we started the day with is a great example. Um, the story is told in Luke chapter 7. We're not going to turn there right now, but it's on your note sheet if you want to check it out later. Um, Jesus has come into town, and Jesus does what Jesus always does. He, he teaches, he heals people, so big crowds come. And so, so this one leader in town, his, his name is Simon. He's a, uh, he's a spiritual leader. He's a Pharisee. He invites Jesus to a special dinner. Now, I'm sure it's a, it's a big deal. All the religious leaders got to be there. The VIPs of the town got to be there. It's a, the Middle Eastern style. You know, so the table in the middle of the room, you're eating on your side, kind of reclining, you know, eating with your hand, uh, feet to the back, heads to the front, and it's kind of how they did it. And so, uh, and so, she, she, so, so that's what's happening at the house. She feels like she's got to see Jesus. We don't know a lot about this woman. We don't even know her name. Luke just tells us that she had a, quote, sinful past, which is probably code for prostitute. That's probably how, that's, how, that's kind of how that works out, right, code for prostitute. So, so we, that's what we know about her. And, and I think we can piece together certain things from the story. They aren't told us anything pieced together. Uh, I think it's fairly clear she must have heard Jesus teach at some point. And, and, and as she heard him teach, she'll never forget that day. She'll never forget the first time she saw him. And, and something happened. As he taught, a hope began to rise inside of her that maybe there was a new beginning, even for someone like her. And, and this is what's going on. And so she has come that day. She feels driven to connect with Jesus. But honestly, I don't think she has a clue what she's going to do when she gets there. She brings the perfume because that's what she has. That's what she does. This is a tool of her trade. It's, a, it's something of great worth to her. Uh, it's probably her most valuable possession, so she brings it, but, but no one could have foreseen what happened when she got there, and so I don't think she knew what she was going to do. She was just kind of headed in, and so when she gets there, you got to picture this. The place is crowded. The, the VIPs are at the table. Uh, spectators just cram in the room. You, just, you know it's crammed because everywhere Jesus went was crammed, right? And so, so she comes in. Her eyes adjust. She looks across the room. She sees him at the table. Now she's got to make her way around to him. And so she's fighting her way through the crowd. I'm sure some were surprised to see her there. Everyone knew who she was. You know, small town USA, I mean, you know those things, right? And so everyone knows who she is, and they're kind of surprised to see her. And she's kind of fighting her way through. She finally gets to where she's right behind him. Again, no idea what she's going to do. She just feels like she needs to connect with Jesus. 
Now, some of you today might be exactly in that same spot, that you, you're not even sure why you're here. It's just there's a hunger for God in your life, and you just a, a sense you need to connect. You're not even sure exactly why you're here, what, exactly what you're looking for. Just something is drawing you, and that's her story. And so she's standing behind him, and I can imagine her there just trying to be as under the radar as possible. I mean, she doesn't want the attention, and all of a sudden, as she's looking around the room, something breaks inside of her. My hunch is it's her past, you know, all her regrets, the broken dreams. Her life has not worked out like she thought it was going to be. Her, she's not proud of her life. She's not proud of what she does for a living. And, and so that's her past, and yet she's heard him teach, and she's heard him talk about forgiveness. She's sensed an intuitive connection with Jesus that maybe this man can lead her to God. Maybe he can provide that forgiveness. And so there's a hunger in her heart for something new, and she wants to connect, and there's this hope rising. And so she's come not really knowing, and I think at that moment, her past and her hope for the future, they come colliding together and she begins to cry. And as she begins to cry, at first it's probably slow. She's wiping the tears away. She's trying just to, to say under the radar. She doesn't want to call attention. But then, but then all of a sudden, something breaks inside of her. And, and this dam comes. And you say, well, how do you know that? Because what's about to happen requires a large amount of water. Okay. And so the, the tears are now flowing, and all of a sudden she looks down. Now, that's the woman, okay? So let's leave her there for a second. Now, across the room at the table is Simon. He feels no such affinity for Jesus. He's in a very different spot in his life. We're not sure why he even threw this party for Jesus. We're not sure he wants to hear from him at all. There's absolutely no sense that he has a need for Jesus in his life, no sense of need for forgiveness. It's obvious because when Jesus came in, he didn't even honor him with the normal traditional way you'd honor a guest in that day. He didn't provide him with water for his feet. He didn't uh, give him the traditional kiss on the cheek. He, he didn't anoint his head with oil. And so, so, so Simon and the woman are in totally different spots in terms of, of where they are in terms of Jesus. And so you got this scene now, Jesus at the table, Simon's across the table, the woman's behind him, the place is packed. All of a sudden, her past and her future collide. She begins to cry, the dam breaks, she's looking down, she sees his feet, she notices they're dirty, and all of a sudden, a plan comes together. And she just drops to her knees, and she begins to weep and just pour these tears out on his feet. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, this is my favorite part of the story. Jesus just lets the real roll. This is the weirdest thing. Because stop and think, if someone's crying on your feet, you, are you going to notice it, right? I mean, it's going to tickle, right? It's, it's like the you're crying on your feet. Like, well, what, you need a Kleenex or, you know. And, and Jesus just lets it roll. Okay, so now, so now we're watching her. She's down on her knees. She's crying on her feet. Jesus is letting the real roll. She, she takes down her hair, pulls down her hair. The tears are beginning to turn the dust on his feet, because haven't been clean, turning him into mud. And so she takes down her hair, and she begins to wipe the mud off his feet. Now, now picture this. This is going to take a while, Right? This is not a momentary anointing there, right? This is going to take a while to do this. 
So she's weeping and weeping, more and more tears, wiping more off. The mud's coming off. The mud's getting on her hair. Now she takes another side of her hair. She begins to dry it. Now it's clean. Then she pulls out this perfume. She brought it. She didn't know why she brought it, but now she's glad she's got it. She anoints. She takes this valuable perfume, her most valuable possession probably, that she would normally be a tool of her trade to lure men to her. And she takes this, this most valuable thing that normally goes on your head or your face or your neck or whatever, and she puts it on the least most important part of his body, his feet. It's just it's, it's this moment of worship. Are you, again, this is just like, I'm just giving you my best. I, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just kind of going, going with the flow here, giving the best. And then here's the weirdest part. She now, after his feet are clean, they're perfumed, she takes the feet in her hands and she begins to hold them gently in her hands and she begins to kiss his feet. Now, as you read the text, what becomes clear, this is not a peck. This is not a symbolic kiss. We're done. Because it goes on and on and on. Jesus will say later, from the time I came in, she's been kissing my feet. Now, isn't this odd that Jesus is letting this happen? I mean, if you're there, it's got to be awkward. The town prostitute is kissing the pastor's feet. Are you with me on this? Are you, this is a little awkward, right? This is a little weird. She's got kissing his feet and kissing him, rubbing his feet, kissing his feet. Everyone's feeling awkward. All the VIPs, the religious VIPs who are around the table, they're thinking like, oh, my God, you know, I thought this guy was, if this guy were a prophet, he would know who she is. He would, she would know her past. There's no way he'd be allowing her to touch him. And Simon, who's hosting the party, that's exactly what he's thinking. The funny thing is, Jesus is a prophet. He does know what Simon's thinking. And so he calls him out. He says, Simon, can I tell you a story? Sure. Please, anything. Just stop the kissing. <laughs> he said, once upon, a, once upon a time, there were these two men. And they both borrowed money from a, the moneylender in town. And one man borrowed two months' salary, and the other one borrowed almost two years' salary. And, and then they both went through hard economic times. There was a financial downturn. They lost their job, and there was no government bailouts. And so <laughs> they go to the money lender, and, and they're like, we can't pay you. And normally in that culture, what would happen then is you get turned over to jail. You, you go to jail until you can pay, and it's into your life. And, but this money lender, out of the goodness of his heart, he forgives both their debts. He wipes out the man's debt with two months uh, owes you know, and the two years' uh, debt, and he wipes them both out. And so Jesus says, so which of the two men do you say, do you think, would love the money lender the most? And he says, well, I, Simon says, I guess it'd be the guy with the bigger debt. And he says, yes, that's exactly right. And so, so, so let's apply it to our situation today. I came in today, Simon. You didn't even give me the common courtesies. You didn't give me water for my feet. You didn't kiss my cheeks. You didn't anoint my head with oil. This woman comes in. She's, she's washing my feet with her tears. She's wiping them with her hair. She's drying them with her hair. She's putting perfume on. And she hasn't stopped kissing them since I came in. He says, what do we learn from this, Simon? What we learn is that her huge debt has been forgiven. That's why she loves so much. And so what else do we learn from this, Simon? <laughs> Is that you don't think you need me, right? You don't think you have a debt. You don't need what I have to offer, you see? And then he turns to the woman. This is a beautiful thing. I mean, she's taken this incredible risk, hasn't she? Yeah, I mean, this is incredible risk. I mean, can you imagine that she could start crying and his hair starting to do the washing thing, and he could turn around and say, what do you think you're doing? 
I know who you are. I know what you do for a living. I know where those hands have been. I know what that perfume's about. Get away from me. Knock it off. It's not appropriate. And so she took a huge risk. But she was the right risk. It's always the right risk to trust Jesus with your dark side. (laughs) And so, so he says to her, you kind of read between the lines here, but he says to her, man, you were right to trust me. Thank you for coming. And, and I got a new plan for your life, and you were right. You can have a new beginning. And what he actually said is your sins, though they're many, they, they're forgiven. And then he said to her, go in peace. In other words, we're good. We're good. You and I, we're good. You're good with the Father. Go in peace. There's peace between you. And she went off to a brand new life, right? Now, I love this story of Jesus because, to me, this story is like a microcosm of his whole life and teaching. This is what you see of Jesus wherever he goes. Jesus is always drawn to those who are real, authentic, genuine, honest, straightforward, no pretense. He's always drawn to them. And and on the other hand, he's always repelled by those people who are like Simon, who are the pretenders, the, the fake people. I don't need you. I don't have a problem. I don't have an issue. In fact, as you look at his teaching, we, we saw this last week. When Jesus started his ministry, remember he was baptized, wilderness, 40 days, launches his ministry. Very early in his ministry, he taught this very famous sermon, the most famous sermon in the history of the world, where he laid out his message, his movement. It was called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. And the very first thing he says in that sermon, hey, is there's one way into my kingdom. And it's sort of a, like radical honesty. And I want you to see this. It's there on your note sheet. Uh, Matthew 5. In verse 3, uh, this is the very first thing he says in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now let me unpack it. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are spiritually poor. Blessed are those who are spiritually broke. Blessed are those who are spiritually broken. Why? Because theirs and theirs alone is the kingdom, my movement. They're the ones who get into my movement. If you want to be a part of my movement, you have to be like the woman. You have to come in your honesty and your brokenness. You have to come the real you. You've got to bring the real you to me. And that's where we have to meet. That's where the journey starts. On the flip side of this, Jesus was always put off by those people who were into pretense and image and, and, and kind of pretending they didn't need him, like Simon. In fact, there in your note sheet, the next verse is from uh, Matthew 23. Right before he's arrested, Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you spiritual leaders, you hypocrites. In other words, you're, you're pretenders. Uh, you're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, your thoughts, your motives, your emotions, and so on. You're full of dead man's bones and everything clean. And so what you see throughout the life and teaching of Jesus, that he's, he's drawn to those who are real and, and honest and, 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 and genuine authentic. He's repelled from those who aren't. And so what this means for us as a church is this is one of those values that we want to embrace, that we want to be an authentic uh, community here, that we're, we're learning how to be honest with ourselves, learning how to be honest with God, learning how to honest uh, with, with one another. And so there in your note sheet, you have a section 
It's called authenticity, how it grows. And here's what I want to do in the time we have today. I want to talk about this. How, does, how do we learn to be authentic people in our lives? What does that look like? What are the steps we take? And I've got three steps here. I've only got three. After the service last night, a man came up and was talking about growing this area of life and said, so what else do I do? It's like, that's all I got, you know, three steps. You know, like when you get done with that, do it again. You know, it's like, this is it. This is the path, all right? So here we go. Number one. Uh, first of all, authenticity starts with radical honesty with ourselves. If you want to become an authentic person, the first step is you make a commitment. You're going to be radically honest with yourself. Now you say, well, well what does that look like? I'm going to give you four areas you have to make a commitment. I'm going to be radically honest, right? First of all, it's our thoughts. Secondly, it's our emotions. Third, it's our desires. And fourth, it's our motives, okay? So thoughts, emotions, you know, what, what are we thinking? What are we feeling? What do we want? And why do we want it? Now, and, and it's particularly important, we talk about learning to grow in authenticity, it's in particularly important we learn to be honest with ourselves in what I call our dark side, okay? Like we all have a dark side. Uh, the Bible calls it the flesh or whatever, those areas of our life that we're not proud of, you know? It's our, it's our anger, it's our hatred, it's our jealousy, it's our pride, it's our lust, it's our temptation, it's our, it's our, our fears, uh, these things, the doubts, right? these are our dark side. And if we want to grow to become authentic people, what I'm saying is we have to learn to embrace that dark side, that truth about ourselves. Then you say, well, why is that so important? Well, I'll tell you a couple reasons. First of all, that you've probably figured this out in life, but there's a principle about relationships that goes like this, that honesty is the key to intimacy in any relationship. Like if you and I are friends, and we want to develop a close relationship, what, what determines that is how honest we're going to be with, with one another. And so whether it's friendship, marriage, dating, whatever, the honesty is the key to intimacy in any relationship. And so if we want to learn how to have close relationship with God and we want to learn how to be a close relationship with other people, the first step is we have to be honest about what's going on inside of me. Because if I'm not honest about what I'm thinking, feeling, experiencing, wanting, desiring, my motives, I can't share my true self with you, can I? And until I can share my real self with you, we can't have real relationship. And so the first step to, to relationship is this, this uh, honesty with ourselves. But I, I take it even a step further, and here's what I'd say next, is that it's a commitment to this radical honesty. This is the first step we need to take if we want to become like Jesus. And I'll tell you why. Because until we learn to be honest with ourselves about what we're thinking, feeling, experiencing, and so on, that not even Jesus can help us. There's a great story in the New Testament. We looked at the story of the woman. Let me tell you another story. Jesus has just recruited one of his 12 disciples named Matthew. Matthew was a, what we call a super sinner. He, he was like, he was major league sinner. He would be kind of like the woman. They'd be like both like major league sinners. And Jesus recruited him, and, and it's confusing to the spiritual leaders of the day. Like, why would he be recruiting people like that? After he recruits them, they have a recruiting party. And so uh, Matthew invites all his super sinner friends. And now Jesus is having dinner with the super sinner friends. And the religious leaders are just blowing their minds. Like, I don't get this, because their whole paradigm of spirituality is the way you get super spiritual is you stay away from people like that, because they pollute you. 
And so now he's hanging out. They're, they're just totally confused by this. And so they're trying to figure it out. And Jesus says, time out. Let me explain. He said, uh, let me give you a simple analogy. He said, I'm like a doctor and, and I've come to heal the sick. I, I, in fact, he said, I've not come for the healthy. I've come for the sick. Now, in that statement, I think he's saying two things. First of all, he said the obvious thing is, hey, the reason I've come is to help people who are spiritually sick and far from God get back from God and get healed. I mean, obvious, that's so obvious. But here's the second thing he's saying, and this is just as important. This was directed at the spiritual leaders. Until you realize that you are sick, I can't help you. Even the best doctor in the world can't help you until you realize and are willing to admit you're sick. And so, so the first step towards spiritual growth then becomes a radical honesty with ourself. What we're thinking, what we're feeling, what we're experiencing, our desires. Because until we are honest with ourselves, we can't be honest with God or anyone else. And there can be no healing. You see? Now, number two. The second step is that authenticity grows with increasing transparency with God. So authenticity starts with a radical honesty with ourselves, but then it's going to grow as we learn how to be increasingly transparent with God. In other words, the next step is we got to take the truth about ourselves, even the dark truths, and we got to bring them to God. And this is exactly what the woman did. Right? She came to Jesus, all messed up, dark side. She came to him. She brought the truth about herself to Jesus. Now, this is a hard thing to do. Uh, I won't, I won't have, uh, have you raise your hands because I, I don't want to know how many honest people we have here. But um, I asked this last night, and I was immediately could tell all the authentic people. But anyway, um, it, it, have, have you ever experienced this in your life where you want to talk to God about a particular issue in your life but you're a little bit afraid. Have you ever experienced that? Like you want to talk about something, but you're just not sure how it's going to go over with him. You're not sure how this is going to go. And, and so what happens is it, it's, it's risk area, isn't it? It's risky. And so this is scary because I'll tell you what's going on here. Is as human beings, each of us has a deep fear of being honest with God. And the reason is, is because we're afraid that if we're honest with him about what we're thinking and feeling and so on, that he will reject us. And see, this is what happened to the woman. Here's the lesson. If you want to grow in your relationship with God, you've got to take the same risk that the woman took. You've got to bring it to Jesus. Because it's only there that you can connect with God on a real level, develop a real relationship. It's only there you can get healed. In fact, let's, let's go back to the story uh, Jesus told about being the doctor. Let's think about this. When you, Jesus, he's a doctor. What happens when you go to the doctor? Well, the first thing that happens, you have to sign in, show your insurance card, sign away your rights, uh, give them the right to your firstborn, go in a little room, step on a scale that always weighs five pounds more than any other scale in the world. Right? If you're really in bad shape, they give this little gown that doesn't cover out your whole body just to help you get prepared to see the doctor. Anyway, when you finally see the doctor, though, what's the first thing that happens? The first thing that happens is you confess what's wrong with you, right? 
hey, doctor, why are you here? Well, this doesn't work, and that doesn't work. I got this pain, got this pain, whatever. And so you, you confess. Now, why do you confess that? Is some sort of spiritual ritual? The doctor just wants to put you in your place and make sure that you let you know that he's healthy and you're not? <laughs> no, no, no. It's nothing about that. It's just, this is what you do with the doctor because even the best doctor in the world can't help you unless you are honest about your symptoms, right? Now, Jesus comes into our life. He says, let me explain my role in your life. I am like a doctor. And unless you're willing to be honest with me about what's wrong with you, I can't help you. I can't fix you up. You see? And if you stop and think about it, this is what confession of sin is all about. And this is how we so often misunderstood this. You know, when someone first comes to Christ, uh, one of the things we teach them as a new Christ followers is, hey, it's great you're following Jesus now, but there's going to be times when you fail. And when you fail, you need to confess your sins right? In fact, we give them a verse. It's there in your note sheet. 1 John 1, 9. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful. He's just. He'll forgive us our sins. And he'll purify us from all unrighteousness. So we teach new believers that when you sin, it's very important that you confess your sins, right? This is exactly what we teach them. But have you ever wondered why it's so important? Have you ever thought about this? I mean, most of us just know it's true, and so we're supposed to do it, and so we tell people, or we do it, but we don't know why. Well, here's the why. The why is that when we confess our sins, this is not for God. God already knows we're messed up. We don't have to tell him. You know, it's not like you, you go before God, and he's like, yeah, what are you here for? Well, I just wanted to tell you I blew it again, and they say, oh, no, you're kidding me. Oh, please, I thought we'd cover that. I know, but I just kind of gave in. Oh, I thought you were doing so well. I'm, I guess I'm glad you told me. I'd rather have you be honest and hide it from me. But no, it's not like that, right? Like, like, like God knows. And so why do we confess? It has nothing to do with God. It has everything to do with us. You see, what we do when we confess our sins is we're inviting God into our brokenness. Just like we invite a doctor into our brokenness so that he can heal us. And unless we're willing to be honest about our brokenness, we can never be healed. This makes sense? The best doctor in the world can't help you if if you're not willing to tell him your symptoms. So look at the verse. It says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, and he'll forgive us our sins. He'll do two things. He'll forgive us our sins, and number two, he will what? Let's read it together. Number two, he will purify us from all unrighteousness, you see? And so what he's saying is he doesn't just forgive you, he begins to purify you, he begins to cleanse you, he begins to work in your life. And this is exactly what happened to the woman. She came to Jesus, she took the risk, and what happened? He not only forgave her, he said, go in peace, you see? He begins to lead her into a new phase of her life. She took the risk of being honest with God about her dark side, and there in the midst of her brokenness, he met her and began to transform her. You see? Now, here's a sad thing. A sad thing is that for many Christ followers, we have never learned this lesson. 
that for whatever reason we've been brought up in a home or we've been raised in a church or whatever, where somehow we've got the message that it's not safe to be honest with God. And so we've learned over time, much like Aaron in the first video today, that we've learned that there's a professional Christian and there's a normal thing. And so we kind of live this double life. And so we're afraid to be honest with God. And what happens is we never connect with God at a deep level and we never get healed. And what happens if you meet us is we become very superficial people. I don't know if you've met this, but I've met a lot of Christians like this that are very superficial people. They don't even feel real when you talk to them. They've got a God answer for everything. They're always on top of the world. They've always got to praise the Lord this or whatever. There's, just, there's a sense of, there's, just like a, there's a lack, you, know, you feel like, I don't really know you. I, I, you don't seem real to me. Well, the reason is because because they've never learned that it's okay, and so what happens, they're pretending to themselves, and they've gotten so used to pretending, they think it's normal. They think their false self is their real self, and they're about this deep, and so when you meet them, there's no sense, you can't connect, you can't really have a real relationship, because they're not sharing the real you, they don't even know their real you. Does this make sense to you? Okay, this happens in Christian circles all the time. And it's such a tragedy because Jesus has come so that we can come and kneel at his feet and bring our brokenness and, and that we can be healed and we become real. And we can come everything we're supposed to be, you see. Now, so it starts with this radical honesty with ourselves. It moves to this increasing transparency with God. And number three, it leads to a deeper vulnerability with others. That if we continue to grow in authenticity, it's not just God and I, that over time, that we will begin to build other relationships into our lives that, that we can share with and that can be part of our healing process. Um, now, I want to be clear here, that I'm not talking about becoming an emotional exhibitionist, okay? You know, there's some people you meet, and it's like, how are you? And you're so sorry you asked. It's like, what was your name? And they're telling you every traumatic thing in their life, and it's going on and on. Like, whoa, you know? That's not the kind of vulnerability I'm talking about. But what I'm talking about is that as we grow in Jesus, as we learn to be honest with ourselves and then honest with God, God's going to bring people in our lives that we need to learn how to trust, who love us and care about us, that we can begin sharing the truth about ourselves. And the reason is this is part of our path to healing. This is, how we, this is how we grow. Now, one of the things I love about Jesus, he doesn't just call us to authenticity, he models this in his life. And I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26, um, and we'll start at verse 36. This is the, the last night of Jesus' life before he's arrested and crucified. And all night long he's hung out with his men. He's been preparing them for his absence. Now, they're in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's time to prepare himself for what's coming. All week long, he has been dreading this night. All week long, he's been dreading this. He, it's been on his mind. He's, he's feeling weak by it. It's, it's, it's a pressure in his life. It's crushing him down. And so in verse 36, um, he says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, so, so picture this. He's got the 11 disciples. Of course, Judas is gone. So he's got the 11 guys. He says, I want you to sit here. Um, while I go over there, yonder, and pray. 
Now, if this is the only passage we have, it looks like at this point Jesus is doing life on his own. I'm going through a major trauma. You guys are my closest friends. You stay here. I'm going to go deal with God. That's what it looks like. But then look what happens next. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. That's James and John. So this is his inner three. You always see in the gospel, the inner three, his best friends, his closest companions, Peter, James, and John. He takes Peter and, and, and James and John along with him, and he begins to be sorrowful and troubled. So he begins to let his hair down now. He begins with these three friends to let them know what he's facing. And then he said to them in verse 38, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Have you ever been there in your life? Have you ever been so overwhelmed with sorrow you feel like you're about to blow, blow a, a gasket? Like you're about to blow, you're about to stroke out? Have you ever been there? You're, just, you're so overwhelmed with sorrow or worry or fear or whatever it is that you just feel like if there's one more thing, I'm just going to blow, blow a gasket here. That, that's what he's saying. He said, I'm just overwhelmed. I want you to catch this. This is the Son of God sharing his inner world with his three closest friends. Do you see this? He's not pretending. Hey, I got it all together. You guys stay over there. I got to go deal with my father. Yeah, it's tough, but God's with me. None of that. He is being radically transparent here. And then he goes on, and it says, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground. Like, can you picture this? The Son of God being so overwhelmed that he falls to the, his, to the ground with his face. Have you ever been there? You're just so wiped out. You're so messed up. You don't know what's going to happen. You're just emotionally, you're like your knees buckle and you go face down. You, you see what I'm saying here? Jesus could have gone by himself and not let them see this, but he took them with him. He wanted them to know. He wanted them to see it. He didn't want to be alone. He wanted to be with his friends. Yes, he had to deal with his father directly, but he wanted to be with those who loved him the most. You see? Now, now this is the question. In your life, who goes with you to your Gethsemane? You know how many times, well, well, hey, well, five years ago, I was going through a really hard time. Let me share that with you. No, I'm not talking about five years ago. I'm talking about real time right now. When you're going through the hard times in your life, who goes with you? Who can you share with? You know, about um, a month ago, maybe a little further than a month back, early part of, of January, uh, I was having a really tough day one day. I, it was a Thursday it was 11.30 in the morning. I've been working crazy hours the last few weeks, and the schedule the next few weeks was going to be just as crazy. The, the day before, I'd, I'd been here at the office at 4 a.m. I'd left at 10 o'clock at night. That day, I'd gotten, came in the office at 8. Some things had come up. I had to deal with a series of meetings that were not planned. So at 11.30 in the morning, I'm now starting the day that's uh, with the work I was supposed to start at 8. I knew it was going to be a long day at 8 when I came in. And, and, and I'm looking ahead, and I'm just feeling tired, exhausted. And on top of that, there's issues going on that the church had to deal with and people issues and 
and there was just, there, I was starting to work on this series, and the last couple of weeks I've been working on this series, and I knew how important this series was for the future of our church, and I was feeling the weight of that, and, and just, the messages just weren't coming together, I didn't like them at all, it just wasn't flowing, and, and you're just feeling like you're pounding your head against a rock, you know, it's like you're writing and writing, and it's just, that's not it, and that's not it, and this is not right, and God help me, and it's just, and, and all of a sudden, there's financial things going on. It was the end. It was a, the brand new year. We had not gotten our end financials from the last year. I didn't know if the end of the year in the red or the black. And we're making the budget for the new year and big decisions. A lot hanging in the balance. And where's that going to be? And and I had family situations. My daughter's going through things. My wife going through, was going through things. And I had deadlines in my own life outside. And it was just like one. Have you ever had one of these days? Yeah, are, are you with me? Are you with me? Okay. So, so this was my day. And so just when I thought it couldn't get worse. Dave Cox walks in. Well, <laughs> oh, honestly, one of the greatest blessings of my life is to get to work with the other three senior pastors here. These guys are amazing. It's just such an honor. I love these guys. Dave walks in. It happened to be him. Could have been the other two. But Dave walks in, and he's excited about what God's doing in his life. He wants to share it with me, some new things God's doing. And, uh, and he looks at me and says, how are you doing? That's so good. Well, why? What's going on? I take about 15 minutes and I just unpacked. Here's what I'm facing. Here's what's going on. And as I'm going through, he's saying things like, oh, man, if that was me, I'd, I'd be going crazy right now. You know, it was just so good to have someone in your life you could just share, here's what's going on. And, and someone who understood and someone who got it and someone who knows what it's like to write messages and have them not be coming and and yet having deadlines coming. Someone who understands what it's like to lead a church and, and the pressures that come like with that. And the, someone who understands stuff in family life and health issues. And he, just, he, he just got it. And, and so great. He listened to me for 15 minutes. I could tell he got it. At the end of it, we began talking about what he was excited about. He's so excited about this church. He's excited about what God's doing. He's excited about the vision that God's given us for the future. He says to me in the midst of this, he says, Mike, I got to tell you, this is a vision I'll give my life for. And I'll tell you, as we're there, two brothers just sharing from our hearts my bad times and his good times. You felt the strength coming back in. You feel the energy coming back in. You feel the perspective coming in. You're right, God is with us. It is amazing. This place is amazing. It's going to be amazing what God does. See, we all need people in our life. We all know people in our life who we can share with in real time, the good, the bad, and the ugly. People are in our story. People are on the journey. So what authenticity, it starts with a, a radical commitment. I'm going to be honest about what I'm facing. I'm not, what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking, what I want, I desire. I'm not going to hold that bad, the truth back. And then I'm going to take that truth to Jesus because there we connect and there will our relationship will go to a new level and there I'll be healed. And, and then I'm going to learn as God brings people in my life who love me and I can trust to begin to share and taking risk with others so I can heal and I can grow and I can be strengthened with that. And so, so the question then is, is, where do you stand with all this? And that's what we've done every week, right? Every week, as we finish a topic, I ask you where you stand. And so there in your notes, you had some, some questions, four quick questions I want to ask you today. Number one, we're going to run through them very quickly. Number one, how honest are you with yourself? You know, it's a sad thing. Some of us have been raised or taught there's certain ways we're not to feel, certain things Christians shouldn't 
think or do or whatever. And so, and so we've learned to, to hide the truth from ourselves. This only cripples us and keeps us from growing. How honest are you with yourself? First step towards spiritual growth is radical honesty. Take that to the bank, men and women. I promise you that is the truth. The first step to you becoming like Jesus is to be honest with yourself what's going on inside of you because you can't take it to him until you've been owned it as your own. And so how honest are you with yourself? Number two, how honest are you with God? We saw today this woman who took a risk. She went to Jesus and she connected with him at a whole new level that led to healing her life. Are you learning to be honest with God? Number three, how honest are you with others? Do you have people in your life that you're slowly beginning to build a trust with step by step, seeing how they handle information? Can they, can they be trusted? Are you building those kind of relationships? Jesus took his three men. Who do you have? Number four, how safe are you? Now, this is a different kind of question, different than the first three. Here's what I mean. We saw today Jesus was a very safe person. The woman could come to him just as she was. She did not get turned away. She could come and find healing. In fact, no one in the life and teaching of Jesus, no one ever came and got turned away for being too honest. He was a safe person. Simon was not a safe person. Simon the Pharisee, not a safe person. The question is, are you a safe person? Are you more like Jesus or are you more like Simon? And the reason I ask is because I believe this with all my heart, that God is going to bring people here to be join us in this movement. People from all walks of life. People from all kinds of stories. And the question is, are we going to be ready for them as a church? Are we going to be able to welcome them as Jesus welcomed them with all their brokenness? Or are we going to be like Simon and say, why are you here? You shouldn't be coming to him. How safe a person are you? Now, as we wrap this up, I want to take you to our futures. Let's take the, turn the lights down, close our eyes, and, and, and come with me to our future. I see a day. I, I see a day when Rocky Peak will be known for just honest and real people, that when newcomers come, what they'll find is a group of people that are so honest and so real and so genuine. On the one hand, they're just quick to tell you what God's doing in their life, and they're so excited about it. But on the other hand, they're also quick to tell you the hard times, the doubts, the fears, the struggles they have. There's this beautiful blend of victory and brokenness. And it's so refreshing. And in the relationship with God, these people are have a depth of a relationship that you've never seen before. It's almost as if God is their very best friend, their most trusted confidant, their, their very best doctor. And they, and they just have connected with him at such a deep level. And, and he's become their deliverer. And they love him. And it's led to a life of worship because they have shared their deepest and darkest things. And he's healed them. And he's rescued them. And, and so the outflow of their life is worship and praise. There's nothing superficial about them. Nothing fake about them. Nothing phony. They're the most real people you've ever met. And, and their relationships, the quality of their relationships, it blows you away. 
the way they share their hearts, the way they tell their stories, the way they help each other through the hard times. It's, it's as if they're truly brothers and sisters. And as you come and you see this church and you see these people, you find yourself hungry after that. Your whole life you've been looking for people like this. Your whole life you've been looking for a place that's true community where you can truly be yourself and you can share and you can learn and you can grow and you don't have to hide and you don't have to pretend. And everything within you is going to draw you like a magnet to this place. And you want in. You want a part. You want to be a part of this group of people. You want to be a part of this movement. And when they come, we're going to welcome them with open arms into our circle because like the one that we follow, we could care less where you've come from. We only care where you're going.